Hey everybody, welcome to another Wiser Wednesday. Today we are talking about what the Web3. So really interesting topic, trying to get our heads around, um, yeah, what what does it mean to each of us? You know, this is, it, it, it means something different to every person I speak to at the moment. So I think um, it'd be really nice to try and navigate that in today's um, discussion and coming at it from an angle of, you know, have a network of a lot of uh, Web2 uh, entrepreneurs and companies that are looking at this and trying to understand, you know, what does it mean um, for their business? So, um, yeah, start with, I'm James Potton, um, you know, believe in a world of entrepreneurial success without burnout, uh, have a, the slightly charred t-shirt to almost prove it can work. Um, and yeah, look, I'd basically like to just start with jumping in and introducing the panelists um, and to say, Thank you, firstly, to uh, Ida, who's on the call today. For most of us, wouldn't have met if it wasn't for Ida being the sort of co-founder of uh, Catapult Future Fest, which is an amazing event out in Oslo. Um, yeah, it's a confluence of tech, impact, um, investment, and uh, it's a lot of fun. If you imagine sort of lecture halls by day transforming into like a sauna with a DJ by night, then you're you're just beginning to get a taste of what it's like. So absolutely brilliant um yeah you're you're also um an advisor for uh indie riot and you're taking time out to deepen your studies at the moment uh, researching social and cultural values uh, of nft so perfectly um place for today so welcome um next next up uh ismail founder of blockchain labs and chief uh, editor-in-chief for uh, web3 newspaper um you love making your own organic nootropics um i think nick you're into that as well we can we can chat about that maybe a bit later um we met on a flight back um from catapult in 2017 and you were sharing um your vision for what um you know crypto blockchain what it meant and i wish i'd listened to you <laughs> i didn't i'm a little bit glad i didn't now but anyway look you know there's there's so much i think there's so much like that you were saying and we'll, we'll dig into that um so look welcome today nick uh founder of go beyond um you've been to like over 50 countries uh you've made and lost tens of thousands on crypto and nfts um so uh I, i've had a sort of similar journey not to that same level but um yeah look we met at catapult as well um we've also run an event together and yeah you now work as an advisor in the impact in web3 space um you're joining from 13 hours ahead so it's about 2 a.m. where you are. So thank you. Um, a very a, a caffeine charge. Welcome. Uh, finally, Yaz, co-founder of um, Verified. Uh, you're a, it's a digital certificate um, platform for learners using the blockchain. So a use case. So we can talk about that today. At the height of your uh, bas uh, basketball career, you played in League Two for uh, Bogner, Bogner Pirates. Brilliant. So um, yeah, what, what a name. Uh, you later coach South on uni from 96 to 13th in two seasons and you now can't walk on the flat without twisting your ankle so nick again you've got similar issues with your knees from basketball so anyway welcome yaz um so look to set the mood a bun fight is a is a fun night so uh, you know ask questions jump in like you know let's make this a conversation uh we're live so no swearing but obviously passion's welcome and if you swear you know so be it. Um, so I'd like to do some just quick intros from yourself. So Ida, uh, starting with you, could you just tell us like in less than a minute, like your journey to where you are today? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, James. And thank you so much for inviting me. 
Uh, I guess my journey is as uh, diverse and interdisciplinary as where I feel the space that we are in now. Um, I am brought up from a, like a, a pure artist family, um, and I think um, meeting, uh, uh, like looking into the blockchain, like. I guess back in 2015 and understanding like kind of the opportunities and dynamics for these, what I would say like almost like um, anarchistic ideas of how to decentralize and give the power back to the people, right? And I, I really love that. And then I think I, I spoke to one of the speakers that um, I met uh, that also invited to catapult, Shermin Boshmer, and she has written the book Tokenization. And she also came from this place of economics, art, technology, and so forth. And that's where I ended up now, like a year ago, well, one and a half year ago. Well, I'm, I'm a student, so in three semesters ago, uh, I went back to university to really also do a deep dive into this from a research and academic perspective. So that's how I ended up now looking for um, the value of NFTs, but not from a financial perspective, from a culture and social perspective, and specifically within the art and museum industry. Amazing. Thank you, Ida. Okay, great. Uh, Ismail, how about yourself? Um, so my journey into Web3 or crypto, as it was known then, um, started, I was working in ed tech. We were building um, online learning environments in Second Life. And one of the key areas I was focused on was uh, rewarding the students for engagement. And we were using um, their in-game currency or in-world currency, Second Life Linden dollars um and it, we were fraught with problems when the server was down we couldn't make any payouts any rewards um managing it tracking it you know it, it didn't really have a ledger as such um a lot of it was based on trust or you know there wasn't visibility and when we were dealing with largely public sector institutions we had a, a major issue there and you know um and and then sort of friends who um were in the cyber security field had started to sort of mine this new weird thing called bitcoin uh, and then the conversation with them just spread and sort of you know as you do you 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 jump into the rabbit hole and um at that time you know the metaverse or or or, or that edtech world were beginning was you know not as exciting so sort of, sort of transitioned over and set up the first blockchain lab uh we focused on there was only the bitcoin blockchain at the time and a few sort of weird um side chains such as prime coin but um we started build applications on the bitcoin blockchain and and then obviously met vitalik and a few other lads and they they started working on the smart contract layer and and, and since then we've just been developing and growing and um taking that wild and wonderful journey of um crypto um it seems mainstream compared to what we were a decade ago <laughs> awesome awesome great thank thank you as well um nick uh so i guess uh from a career perspective started my career uh in web 2 uh tech sales and then got into the startup space in new york city um and I guess being in a, a city like New York City where it's 
probably the second largest startup city in the world or startup market in the world after the Valley, um, but is probably the largest market for finance. Um, naturally, just a large part of my network and community started being in the Web3 space. And so I know a lot of the founders or early team members of companies like Celsius and Galaxy and a bunch of other big names that um, used to be very glorious and uh, now are less so. <laughs> so naturally just uh, started learning a lot about it. And uh, I guess for me, I have a real, I, I love to understand things well. Um, I like to try to have a reasonably well-informed, well-educated thesis on where the world is going and how technology is going to impact it. Um, and so blockchain or Web3 or cryptocurrency became a, a little bit of a pet project. And I definitely have found that you learn a lot more by putting skin in the game. So started playing with a little bit of capital in it back in 2017, did pretty well didn't put in enough, it crashed, lost a lot of my profits, <laughs> got back on the bandwagon around, uh, I guess, uh, right after the, uh, right around the last presidential election in the US because I was a little concerned January 6th would happen a little earlier and, and the US economy would, would uh, be a little bit uh, messy. And so I didn't wanna hold too much of my assets and just USD, which where it all was at that time. Um, so I started buying and then of course the rocket ship took off right about then. And so I kept putting more and more in and it was a hell of a ride. And then wanted to understand it more from the builder perspective. So helped co-found one down, helping co-found another one now, um, and looked at launching NFTs and tokens and various DAO formation, legalities, tax, liability, company formation, structures, security law, all sorts of interesting things. Awesome. So let's, yeah, I'd love to jump into the sort of DAO uh, discussion a bit later. And we'll also like make sure that we like, yeah, we're going to need to sort of explain. So decentralized autonomous organizations, DAO, uh, like try and jump in with some of the terminology that we use. Um, but yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Nick. Uh, uh, yes. How about yourself? Uh, thanks. Cheers, James. Um, so I started my career actually in academia, was an hourly paid lecturer in sports psychology at Winchester University in the UK, um, went uh, up through certain roles to the director of learning and teaching and director of student engagement at Winchester, doing projects internationally with Tanzi Jessup and Graham Gibbs, who are both um, incredible professors to have worked with but realised that uh, there was a world outside of university and I thought I should probably explore it. Worked for instructor in Utah for a year and then ref me in uh, U in London for a year before they were acquired by Chegg and then Cortex on the South Coast. Uh, all three ed techs, all three um, as a way to bridge between technology and education. It was around 2017 also that I um, was introduced. Well, actually, I was introduced to Bitcoin in 2013 um, by Luke Deering, who's now the CEO of uh, Curriculum.com. And he actually said, oh, you should look at uh, Bitcoin. I said, yeah, OK. All right. Good one. Quick Google search. Mm, maybe not for me. Um, that was possibly not a very open perspective for me to have had at that time. But I was quite distracted with children and, and a, a role, etc. But in 2017, I started researching again, realizing that the blockchain beneath it might actually be really interesting if it were to be applied to education. Um, bought a little bit of uh, crypto at that point and gave me a very nice 
um, return that year and then lost all those returns over the last five, which has been great, but um, still completely believe in the project and believe in what it can afford to society and humanity overall. Um, but I was really struck by this idea, could blockchain actually be applied to education and create a lifelong learning ledger for people where their skills could be better surfaced, where they could actually find themselves aggregating learning from multiple providers and eventually where they could actually uh, utilise tokens to be able to increase upskill, get uh, more better positioning for certain roles. Um, so we started validating in 2019 and we actually um, got our first uh, blockchain back credentials issued in August 2020. I've been on the journey ever since and celebrated just before Christmas partnering with UCL. Awesome, awesome. Fantastic, thanks. Well, look, um, thanks for the intro, everyone. Um, uh, I'd like to dive in uh, first, Ismail, to yourself. Um, what, what, what do you see as the decent? What is the decentralized vision, as it were? You know, and, and how sort of how, how much progress has been made towards this? Um, so, so the original decentralized vision, this sort of immutable ledger of, of store of value, um, I still think it holds, I think it's going to hold significant value going forward. I think you're going to start to see a lot more bonds and other value instruments lodged and, and uh, you know, backed by um, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. So I still think it's going to hold a large share of the market. Um, the the vision i think is morphed and it's starting to evolve much towards the use case of what sort of 23 is and and that is having a a token as a gated entry point to something whether it's um whether it's youtube as we just recently heard the, the new experimentation or or, or much like what Twitter verified was is going to be or supposed to be, um, you're going to see a lot more of the the focus away from the underlying blockchain or the layer one and what what its immutable qualities are, and a lot more on what the token is and what the experience. So I think we started off from the immutable ledger and 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 a store of value that can be trusted and um, has a sort of 100% service level um, guarantee through its decentralized and distributed structure to a much more what can the token do and what 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 experience can the token unlock or what can the token prove so we're, we're kind of going much um, I suppose the the decade long in uh, the Bitcoin you know is essentially a, a, a token and it represents something but it was a lot more on you know how does it represent that and how how has it come to be and now we're like okay well we understand that part we accept that part to to a large degree but what is that token going to do how is it going to improve my access my privacy my rights my verification or, or whatever you may attach to it and and i think the next year in particular in the next decade is going to be um, largely focused on that um, you know just like today we're just looking at how Starbucks is 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 starting to experiment with having a a you know moving across its reward architecture across to a token 
based architecture and and that whole discussion was around the token and not the underlying blockchain and what it what it offers yeah okay brilliant so yeah there's the sort of conversations moved on um with it that's yeah super interesting uh Ida, do you have any um thoughts on this is there anything from your side that you're seeing in terms of the vision for the future of it well uh as i i, I said initially like i'm super like on a, a positive uh on the like the, the creativity the opportunity for decentralization the uh, opportunity for engagement and co-creation and kind of the social and cultural values and i think it's about a, a shifting of a mindset from um a way that we have looked and frankly to be honest just to name it a capitalistic system of endless growth right uh, that is creating products and solutions and and algorithms and models that are uh, not beneficial for well our minds our well-being and so on so i'm really uh, positive to see like if we can shift over to a more collaborative co-creative on a very like on a very philosophical level right this is and i think those are the conversation that uh, well we had back in 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 2015 but i i think we're still in this era where we're trying to figure out like what is our values, where do we want to go with this web tree? Like, where are we going to go with this decentralization? It is kind of an, um, a kind of a counterweight to something that we have experienced for a while that is not supporting us as, as human beings. So, um, yeah, like I'm taking the very like uh, philosophical and ethical approach here. And I, I tend to usually do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, brilliant. Look, it's so important. I mean, it's where it's where the, the sort of new ideas will come from. Hey, so. We, 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 is um sitting with the unknown as, as difficult as that might might be the sort of you know divergent thinking piece is super important and uh and and obviously early adopters and trying to work out how to then sort of bring other people along on that journey um yeah yeah as nick anything from your side on this just briefly to say that i think there are two main shifts that seem to be happening one from a societal distrust to a platform and architecture that can create um, decentralized trust in a way that people will be able to know where things have come from in the future. For instance, if an institution has a wallet and it issues credentials, then you know that it's come from that, that wallet address and that institution. But the bigger one, I think, is moving from a, an era of speculation to an era of utility. And I think where utility and impact is being shown, that's where we're starting to see some really exciting movement around projects. They're the ones that are still hiring. They're the ones that are still growing. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Nick. I love that point um, because I do think that a lot of now what people would consider Web three is highly speculative, high risk assets where you know it's Lambo Moon time, um, and it's easy to get caught up in that fervor when you're seeing your portfolio go up ten percent a day or whatever, and then suddenly drop ninety percent <laughs> a week later, wipe out all your gains, get wrecked as the uh, as the moon boys uh, call it. Um, but I think one thing that's really fascinating to me, and I'm, I'm really curious to see how it plays out is um, the conflict and juxtaposition of, of democracy versus centralized control. Um, because I think there's so much conversation and all the people that I know that are you know, bullish on on web three, not necessarily from an economic perspective, but more from a social change perspective. 
um, are all sort of talking about how if we have more transparency, decentralization, and technology takes the place of trust, we can get to a better society. Um, but I think there's a lot of pros of having centralized control. I mean, it's, it's much more efficient. You can come up with much faster decision-making generally. Um, there's gonna be manipulation and corruption in both democratic and authoritarian, more hierarchical type decision-making structures. And I think that often what I see with the Web3 bulls are, um, and again, this isn't necessarily talking about it from a financially bullish perspective, but more people that are really like touting how they think it's gonna change the future. Um, as it's just the social change it's gonna it's gonna drive, but so much of that is kind of counter to having centralized governance. Um, and centralized governance, I mean, from a political standpoint, from a you know corporate standpoint, a lot of the things that they're saying, thinking are is gonna happen would be essentially taking power away from central banks, from governments, from parliaments, from presidents, and from the executive leadership of big corporations that have mandates from their shareholders to have certain you know, behaviors and goals. So I'm really curious to see you know, real world examples of it um, being implemented and improving things, uh, not just more at the philosophical perspective. Yeah, yeah. Okay, brilliant. And look, Nick, like sort of continuing on <clears throat> on that. So, you know, the reality of the situation at the moment. So you you've been sort of right at that sort of epicenter of um yeah, you know, the, the roller coaster of, of of NFTs. Um and as you said, you're like working in, in DAOs. NFTs, like non non-fungible tokens, just to, to to check in on some of the terms we use. Um so yeah, Nick, like talk us through th that, you know, what 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 has been the current reality, like in what you've been involved with? Um, I guess there's a few different types of core, most, a few standard types of NFTs, so the most common types. There's digital art, um, which I would definitely uh, leave to Ida to, to give a better explanation of because um, I don't have great understanding or uh, maybe appreciation of art. Um, but that's fascinating, right? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's acting somewhat similar to the physical art world. Um, a lot of people talk about how it democratizes things and how uh, it enables an artist from anywhere in the world to, to suddenly make a living from art. But I don't know the most recent statistics, but I'm pretty sure data I saw, you know, a back in the heart of the bull run of NFTs was sort of showing that it was still extremely um, condensed, similar to the physical art world, where a small number of artists are getting the vast majority of profits. Um, and of course, you saw a lot of uh, the top grossing contemporary artists in the world today getting into the NFT space. I mean, I was I met with Jeff Koons to talk to him about the launch of his first NFT collection. He's the highest grossing living artist in the world by some metrics at least. And it was interesting. I mean, it really seemed like a cash grab from his perspective as, as part of a, a combined physical digital art collection. And, you know, pretty much the 
entire conversation was around the physical art piece. And there was just a little bit of conversation about the NFT. And that was reflected in, in the marketing material for Pace and everything like that. Um, secondarily, there's membership type clubs, um, there's investment clubs. Um, there was a lot of alpha groups that, that came out. Alpha is essentially inside information, inside trading information in the Web3 space. Um, and uh, what are some other types? Um, there's some that were more utility-based, um, but those weren't really being traded. So they were much less sort of well-known. So an example of that would be like, if you were to have your marriage contract be an NFT or something like that. So it's essentially a digital contract. Okay, awesome. I mean, it, it, it is, is there anything you'd want to add, add to the sort of reality of where we, we see things are at the moment? Um, yeah. I suppose, especially from the NFT, I saw a meme recently, which is you know, Chat TP being the 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 new new and NFT sort of being like forgotten a little bit in discussions. But I, I mean, that's always the hype cycles, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, Web three and and uh, NFTs is you know it's just the last month. So I am uh, no um, when it. Like I have a slightly different approach, um, and it's like I'm looking at the museum and the art space, and I'm looking at social and cultural value. And the thing is, like NFTs as such, like as a digital art or a new media art or kind of a, an opportunity to for an artist to save an art piece on the blockchain and as this kind of a storing unit, right? This is things that the museums have been work as an institution, as a, a holder of history and, and, and conserving history and, and collecting art and art pieces, physical art, right? Um, that's what they do, that's, that, that's their skill. Uh, what is interesting now to look at these, this, let's call it an industry, the museum's industry, is that it's fascinating to see like how these non-profit organizations now, for example, can be granted like, an artist and an NFT artist uh, or a digital artist will, will give them an art piece or an NFT for their collection. What does what does that mean when it comes to they receiving like these uh, high valuable NFTs, digital art pieces? Uh, another part is it's like it, that industry hasn't been disrupted in the same way we have seen with the hotel or a taxi and and Airbnb and Uber and so on, right? So what is happening now, there is like NFTs as such as an, it's a driver for a new type of discussions. Uh, like who are the collectors, who are the, who are the curators, who are the artists and so on. So it kind of just opens up like the, a new way of thinking about uh, digital uh, meets, I guess, history and, and, and museums and so on and the, uh, the art space and classical art space um, and, and kind of stare things up a little bit. And I think that's where I feel there is a, a huge value, but very specifically uh, within this space. So literally it's um, like, it, it also affects art students. So there's like different um, aesthetics. There is like, there's so many, 
yeah, basically different way of seeing of, of that industry that is not like a digital transformation as such, but actually is kind of forced to have discourses around, okay, what, what, like, how should we collect these things? Should we receive these things? Should we buy these things? Who's an artist, right? So that's where I'm coming from in this space. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ismail, do you, do you have any thoughts on this? You're, you know, you're spinning out. I mean, so, so the NFT as a word is, is probably the most powerful part of it. It, it, it. it moved that discussion from the discussion of the blockchain to a particular type of token, right? A non-fungible token. So, so now that it's in the lexicon and now it's global, you will now have an acceptability of different types of tokens. You know, the discussion of the smart token and this type of token. So that, you know, that narrative or that NFTs is allowed a space for tokens to have an identity on their own, right? So when someone discusses an NFT, there's absolutely no chatter of crypto as such or, or very little or the underlying layer one or any of the other sort of properties that we've been sort of <clears throat> camouflaged or you know hidden behind for for, for the best part of a decade it is what 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 is this type of token and and now you'll start to see the discussion of which i think you know a fan tokens or engagement tokens and reward tokens so that whole space has opened up and you know the the theory is that um if it can be tokenized it will be tokenized because it's a fundamentally better tech stack to to manage tokens so you know and and we've already had centuries of tokens being used to represent other things we've just got a much more intuitive stack to to sort of play that in and um you know you've seen you know the last month all the ai tokens have started to rock it up so you know whatever the zeitgeist the tokenized part of that web3 will grab that share of it quite significantly okay great thank you yeah yeah any thoughts from your side not so many on the nft front i mean there are some universities kansas state student union and a few others that are talking about the use of nfts as membership tokens um as ishmael was saying but i don't think um it's very um mainstream in education as yet but I'll, I'll um, pipe up a bit more later. Yeah. Okay. Great. I mean, yeah. You've got an actual use case, so it'd be great to talk talk about that. So, how did you, you know, talk us through how you identified the opportunity, you know, and then how you went about building it, you know, talk us through that journey. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I typically see serendipity play quite a significant role in my life, and actually, what happened was I was um, working for one tech company understood a little bit about blockchain, was understanding about how it could be utilised to do micropayments online. There was a company called Coil that um, the CTO spun out of Ripple and actually created something that would do micropayments online. And I just started thinking, oh, how could how could micropayments allow us to have a different internet experience? How could um, some of these new technologies allow tokens to give us access to different memberships, web pages, other services, etc.? And then I also recognized that in my background as a director of learning teaching, I saw these students graduate and they would be switched off their email, switched off library access, kicked out of the university with a piece of paper and said, good luck, we'll speak to you in three years, see how you're doing. And so I had these two experiences in my life thinking, 
wouldn't it be interesting if the use of blockchain could actually create a lifelong learner bond with the students that have left? Because we knew already we could see FutureLearn growing, Coursera growing. We knew people were going to need to continue upskilling through their life. Wouldn't it be great to have a lifelong bond with the institution that you've learned from and that you feel you know, has added value to your life in a way that they can continue being in communication with you and you can continue seeking additional learning as you go through your lifetime? Um, and ultimately we just had seen other companies being led and my co-founder and i just said why don't we just try and validate the use of blockchain credentials to um, issue digital educational certificates for students however the interesting thing was we thought brilliant we'll sell fraud you know there's certificates being printed off around the world multi um, multi-million pound industry around the world and we thought well, yeah we'll remove fraud that'll be great the conversation around blockchain now comes up for approximately three minutes because people now understand okay blockchain creates immutability we can know that this is trusted but what's really interesting and it comes back to this idea of centralization decentralization is the centralized user experience that we've created that allows skills to be better mapped when we onboard academics and program providers boot camps whoever it is where they're able to start looking at the skills that are within that learning credential rather than most learning outcomes that universities use is actually using a language that is more understood by employers and people post uh, their university study so we actually find ourselves building a web 2 user experience with the web 3 technology underlying it and actually invisible in many of the conversations that we have with users partly because actually if you asked 3,000 graduating students to all have their own secret keys, their own wallets, give us those addresses and we'll make sure their certificates are issued to them. It's not mature enough yet to do that at scale. And actually, we're getting there quickly, I think. But um, there is a bridge, I think, between those two worlds. And that's the experience that we've seen um, working with the universities and the um, professional bodies and governments that we're working with. Well, really, really interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Yaza. Idi, you've got your hand up far away. Yeah, I thought that was like uh, maybe something that I could do because I'm really happy. Maybe yes, and, <laughs> yes as well. and I, I haven't dared to actually put it forward in class with my professors. And and that said, it's like I'm like my midlife pivot. I I went back to university, but I'm not going to stay there. I'm just doing this like couple of years. And and it's really fun coming from you know. I guess the, the, the tech world, the outside world, and then go back into university, but also knowing that I'm not going to get stuck here. I'm going to go back and apply this thing, right? But one of the things that I, I've been, um, and this is a very open and far-fetched probably thought, it's like, but is there an opportunity to make it a DAO, like a decentralized uh, a DAO organization, like university, mm -hmm. like basically because... One thing that I see is like one, I've been looking at PhD programs, you know, we actually get paid for PhD, but the salary is like so low. <laughs> it's like nobody values that knowledge of a PhD, it seems, which is terrifying because we need that deep research. We need that deep knowledge now, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not always scratching the surface all of us. Another thing is like, if I would ask a student for a time, I could part of this Dao University, but also as, for example, teachers or professors, that they are part of like owning this university, and maybe we could like make more diverse global universities, and mm -hmm. it could kind of take the pulse on what topics also that it's like um, put forward at the curriculum, and it could be certified and so on. And I'm just wondering like, if there's an opportunity 
of that, of course, I like I don't dare to put this forward to my university because they will be like, no, we're an institution and that is so important. And to the next point, right? We need these centralized institutions as well. I'm, you know, I'm coming from working with museums. Like I totally see that we need museums to be the cornerstone to you know preserve some of our history and so on. But I'm just like, is there a you know, is there a third option here? I, I don't know if you have some reflections on that. I mean, I think it's an, a superb question, and I actually think it's very forward-thinking because there are there is evidence of it already starting to happen. Now, it's not formalized. Or, um, you know, there's not huge entities that are formalized and that are structured in this way, but we're starting to see learning communities taking autonomy for their own learning between themselves. I mean, we see examples of it already in, in GitHub and other places where actually the community rate the contributions of the community and actually that continues to further everyone's knowledge and learning um, in an informally, you know, self-driven uh, autonomous way. And so I'm, I think it may not be that the universities end up leaning in too heavily into that space, but I think both can coexist and actually you find your own tribe and your own, um, which can be now internationally located. It can have very diverse opinions and perspectives because of how technology is now structured to allow us to do that. And the last two years have accelerated that beyond measure that I think there'll be a coexistence until one plays more dominantly. But I'm already seeing recruiters starting to look at learning communities online as to who are the most esteemed members of those communities, as opposed to going, which reputable institution have you been to? Show us your pathway that is very linear and, um, uh, and reputationally centered. I think that the veracity of a learner within their own learning community is becoming more and more sought after for a data point. And I think a DAO could be in an organization of that formally. It, it, yeah. yeah. So go. No, I'm down. Like I want to be part of creating this DAO university for sure. If anyone <laughs> awesome. for it. I no, but I, I really believe that like we have this need for for knowledge and knowledge come from all places, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how can we leverage to create and, and facilitate that knowledge um, uh, that is also, as you say, maybe uh, outside of the lin more linear systems because we all know also that linearity might not be, well, that's constructed uh, exactly. kind of, and it won't, might not suit everyone, right? The school system has, I think, destroyed many souls. Mm -hmm. Should we, should we talk about it pra practically? So, and, and, and Nick, like, jump in here, Ismail, as well, if you want. But, like, you know, my, my, because I've looked at, like, how, how can you create a DAO, like, you know, for entrepreneurs, for example, so that, you know, your week on a meet on a bi weekly basis, you get sort of, you know, FAQs, you get questions, people who turn up are contributing to materials that other people can learn from. So, do they get, like, you know, additional tokens as part of that network? You know, is that do you see the sort of Dow University as this type of thing where people who are contributing to the knowledge within it are of gaining more, you know, tokens as a result? Is that a kind of, you know, is there a is is that the um the driver to become part of it and to try and go on the journey with it? <clears throat> who does that go to? <laughs> I mean, there are some examples of both. So one um I mean, 12 years ago, take any tokens out of it. I worked for a company. Uh, uh, I worked for a company 
10 years ago, sorry. Um, and you could recognize other members of the team. And it was interesting because the people who got the most recognitions were not necessarily the senior leaders of the company. It was the people within the teams that were the glue or that made things happen or that gave everyone the time that, you know, helped people when they were lost. They were the ones that found, you know, week after week, we're getting huge amounts of recognition. And actually, as a company, that's the entity or that's the individual you want to make sure is feeling super valued and feeling really amazing about being there. So yes. there's an example where recognition already can happen in many ways. And I think that that's really powerful um, from peers, from colleagues, from other contributors and in you know, a community or beyond. And then in terms of the other method, getting tokens for doing activity or engaging or adding value is already there. There's exercise tokens. There's all sorts of tokens that exist out there that reward certain behaviours, activities, um, but largely probably time. Uh, and that, I think, is um, it's not a huge step to think about how those two worlds could be combined. And I think there are people already starting to look at how tokens can go from learning to earning and you know, providing scholarships in certain ways or subsidies in other ways, et cetera. Awesome. Yeah, Nick, jump well, in. Core essentially does that, right? With, um, uh, not with tokens, but it's a Web2 version of, of recognizing contribution. Um, not actually sure if you can really use the points for anything or if it's purely just for cloud and reputational score. And, and, I don't know if many people would reference their core score as a indicator of their knowledge levels or expertise levels. But I mean, I know personally, I've um, followed VCs or other people that I've seen posting consistently good answers across multiple interesting questions that are relevant to me. Um, and I think I've, you know, might follow them to Twitter and then follow them there or on LinkedIn or whatever. So it is it is super interesting though once you tie economics into something because there's so many so much of our behavior, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion tied to economics and to um, money and you know for example, like a very uh, simple use case that I think a lot of DAOs would be trying to crack or not necessarily doubt, but say web three organizations would be, you know, making an introduction between two people, right? That's a often a very high value um, action to take, you know, it can lead to massive different course of result, whether it's an economic thing or maybe it's a travel recommendation or whatever. Um, but in many cases, it, it is really interesting because when you get into uh, behavior types that many people would consider to be something that you should do for people you care about, then having an economic reward and cost associated to it makes people feel funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Su super, super um, interesting, Nick. Um, yeah. Uh, Ismail, do you have any thoughts on, on, on that? Um, I suppose that, uh, you know, we, 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 we built that sort of first kind of metaverse type university in Second Life. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's, you start to, I suppose we never had that economic underpinnings that, you know, the crypto blockchain and other sort of DAO type 
structures have allowed, right? So back in 2007, we never were able to sort of deliver payments the way we can now. We weren't able to manage those. There weren't no smart contracts to contain it. Um, and, and a lot of the what feedback we got was, um, you know, those that care about university are largely going to the university for an experience. You know, um, and that was the feedback from students. I'm going to X university because they provide this experience. I like their sports. I like their social life. You know, I, you know, I'm looking for a life partner, whatever it may be. So the, the ticks, the academic part of why they chose a university was usually <laughs> a lot, lot lower down, down the ranks than, than what, you know, we'd initially expected. So as we as we see the convergence of sort of better metaverse technologies better sort of ai backed sort of support um services which is you know 80% of of the budgets we were spending was on administrative support staff and and you know and then sort of auxiliary as opposed to core teaching so as we see other technologies converge you're going to start to see the digital university model and 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 a web3 version of that as as a much more viable alternative and and you can say the early sort of if you look at gitcoin or any of those git hub type based reward systems they're essentially saying okay you come you get a grant you work on this proposal on this project and as a result you know you can use this as your reference so whenever you go for anywhere you say here's my github profile or gitcoin profile and this is what i worked on so you know if, if we look at github as sort of the first disruptor in 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 sort of disrupting computer science as a degree maybe you you may start to see that in creative writing and etc etc so you start to see the university as as a core function disappear you know because it started to the the greatest asset of the university of of providing this paid for experience may actually be its greatest downfall when in digital education provides a much richer or much more insightful experience than than current universities which are great at providing sports clubs teams or etc etc so you may start to see this divergence and and um i think it's an inevitable you'll start to see a lot more decentralized um learning groups emerge yeah so so then it also that spins off another you know kind of industry of where people go to get the the, the fun bit and the the sports clubs and all of that piece the in-person bit so um yeah super interesting uh is now um i guess i suppose either like in system thinking's terms um the the existing system um builds like the to some to, well basically builds the new system so it designs the new system and it obviously puts itself like quite high up in the um in the hierarchy of that and yeah like we're seeing that obviously with stable coins and you know the central bank digital currencies uh, i think china are looking at you know the e yuan um you know is 
so that that they've sort of you know there's now this race by the existing um uh organizations to try and like own this next sort of p- paradigm what, what what's your thoughts on on that mm, i'm not sure if i like totally got the, the, the question but um like looking at systems and i think from this existential and almost like spiritual perspective that i'm coming from like in the shift of cultural mindsets it like there is an opportunity to rethink the existing systems everywhere not only like you know evil web 2 and and whatever social media platform exploiting our you know brain cells uh but also looking at the larger picture of uh, of our society and governance um into like how can we um kind of get rid of the things in the system or, or just not, not get rid but just like uh, change and develop and evolve the things in our system that is not working for us and that technology is part of facilitating i i read this article a little bit uh also it's not to, to your point it's like um there are resources that are spent in for example administrative administrative costs that are like you know um could be redirected into i guess students or teaching and learning and education right and i think it's not it also the teachers seems to you know or professors seems to to have that battle so maybe we could you know um look at look at that part of the system uh, and and i it was um douglas ruskov uh, which is a, a, a yeah he he's written some book about team human and so uh, and he's like a media science professor i think uh, first and foremost an amazing writer but he wrote very fast and early like the the about the chat gpt because he's he saw already before like in december that his students were handing in uh, essays that were like obviously written by uh, some bot right and but his point was actually like not they're not attack this bot but actually work with it and kind of now maybe i can actually spend more time with the students and teach them critical thinking and like have one on one conversations that is a much more profound deeper work so let's say they are you know the essays or the 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 university essays are dead uh because it's now written by ais but what does that like he was looking at the question what does that mean as for me as a professional is that i'm actually opening up more time so i think there's a lot of things that we kind of you know could reflect on how to redirect and and rethink existing existing systems so that they will be more efficient for you know developing good humans i guess Awesome. Uh, anyone else want to jump in with thoughts on that? Uh, just on the stable coin. So all all the research we're working on in the lab right now is 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 more around the programmability, right? So traditional money in any um, M1, M2, any of the money streams you have, none of it is programmable, right? Or if it is, it is a very very difficult task. We've got to write a patch on on the Swift network, and then we've got to work around on. on what the end user was paying on on visa and it, the whole thing is completely complex and it's unmanageable it's wieldy it's costly and and whereas you know 
digital crypto uh, money is completely programmable from the outset. And, and whether we like it or not, um, you know, bots, machines, AI are going to form a large part of the much more productive economy. Right. Um, you know, and, and, you know, there is there is people like myself who, who favor that human beings need to be stopped doing this unproductive work and start, you know, becoming more creative and working on more creative tasks. And, you know, machine to machine architecture and everything that's been worked on now and is operational and, and you know, is on the final stage of the testbed. This crypto digital um, dollar money, your programmer fits that much better it's much easier to pay a program to pay a machine reward a user a fraction of that for using that machine and 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 someone along that journey whether it, you know we're working on bikes that sort of um collect data and they they take a bit of you know um whether you know so the stable coins is and cbdc's is that first part of that productive curve towards smart programmable money um and you know if you try to put the old stack and you try to pay it the workarounds that have to be done it's just it's inordinately costly right it's it's equivalent to how how costly it is to handle physical cash mm-hmm. you know so we move you know the time it took from moving from physical cash to sort of um, credit card money and 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 you know um, online digital banking you know it, it was a span of so three decades right you you had half half the globe move across and and you're going to see a much smaller span where we're going to move into smart and programmable money and that fits this kind of fourth industrial revolution it fits the whole sort of need for for much more productive and and us to sort of resist and you know, it, I almost feel like it's when, you know, we should, um, the initial databases came out and, and we would go out and say, hey, you don't need to use this yellow pages of this telephone directory. You can just use this online. But, and people would say, oh, we still need the physical, right? We still we still need it. And we still had that in the early parts of the credit card and, and what have you. You know, that would be the same. It'd be like, hey, is this money not programmable? Is this not, you know, can I not split it and split Splat it and make sure it comes and you know and 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 DeFi um it got it got sort of carried away in 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 kind of the the sort of remnants of an ICO requirements and fundraising but its core components actually fit into that programmable money quite well and you know it allows it to be staked and rewarded and what have you so generally as a stack it fits into um where you know we will start to see machines and bots and ai being a large significant part of it um and i for one you know if i if i was to get a if if, you know if i was offered today a, a someone would deliver a bot to my house and it would do some of the chores that i don't want to do and you know i i can just pay it out of my you know, programmable wallet that I got, and it takes a little churn, and maybe you know some of it staked, and that um, you know I would take that option as opposed to hey, let me phone up a customer service or log on to a portal, type in my credit card details or 
whatever it may be. So the, all the other options are, are a non-starter with this with this economy. So um, and as you know, simply like you know, we're working on a project where we're doing a bike rental scheme. Um, a, a, a paying that by a stable coin that's programmable is is just orders of magnitude is more efficient than the current model where the user downloads an app, enters his credit card details. Every now and then, we do this kind of um, it, it's a special type of payment where you don't actually debit the payment, but you put a hold on that amount of payment, and it, you know it's convoluted. So yeah. Um, yeah. Let's not let's not let's not kind of resist the machines. As it were. <laughs> it, I bet it, there's it, lots of people listening who are still trying to, and it's it's you know it's yeah it's it's difficult. It's the faster horses discussion, isn't it? You know, it's kind of it's tricky until you can really see like how it how it can be applied. It, it there's a there's a fear of the new new. Yeah, as you had your hand up. Um, any thoughts? Sorry, you're on uh, mute. Just to, uh, I guess, speak for those people a little bit, there is some concern, and I completely agree with you. I think CBDCs are the future. I think cross-border payments are also um, phenomenally more efficient using blockchain. So there are ways that I think that the financial systems can be really uh, more efficiently created, you know, getting rid of Nostro Vostro accounts around the world, seeing those trillions of dollars being able to be utilised around the world again. But there is an element around the programmable money depending on where that money is coming from. So if that is a central bank saying, here's programmable money for citizens, to what extent could that be programmable? Is that Could that be to a dangerous level where individuals could be told, here's money for food, here's money for clothing, in, in a way that it becomes almost used in a dictatorial way if it is a central bank issued currency? Great. Okay, thank thank you, Yaz. Um, yeah, look, we're almost out of time, so uh, be great to go uh, around the room. Nick, did you have any, did you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, from a technological perspective, a lot of the, the cross-border payment issues, it's not really technology from my understanding. Um, it's more resistance to change from the incumbents because they make so much money off of making it really slow and expensive. And that's you know that's where I see a lot of the challenges to blockchain, Web three, whatever you want to call it, actually having you know widespread global adoption and making a ton of change. In so many industries, lack of efficiency isn't due to lack of technology, or you know, in most places, technology isn't optimized and implemented in the best possible way. Um, and I don't see web three as being this magic wand that will change it it's it's we have social and political and economic and you know it's, it's all incentives based right and uh there's billion dollar companies that are incentivized to keep things as they are and there's probably a lot of politicians that are getting a lot of campaign contributions or other um special benefits for not pushing change right and uh, stable coins are theoretically wonderful, but we've seen so many of them have massive problems. I mean, if we look at Luna, um, that shows a great example of why we do want more trustworthy centralized authorities um, controlling currency. Uh, obviously, if you want to look at countries that hit hyperinflation like Turkey, Venezuela, or whatever, then of course you have wonderful examples or terrible examples 
of centralized organizations failing too, but um, we also have, I think, a lot of the best examples of long-standing, stable economies based off of centralized central banks um, managing currency. That's a core economic tool of, of, of countries. Yeah. Okay. Right. Brilliant. Like, so if we just go around the room in less than 20 words, um, so Ida first, uh, what advice would you give someone uh, looking to engage in the decentralized future? Uh, wow. Yeah. Join some WhatsApp groups or Telegram groups are, you know, use those, uh, use the week to really like, you need to inform yourself and, and don't jump on, you know, the hype. It's uh, it's still very, very novel and early days. So, you know, take informed choices, I guess. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Isma? Um, pick an amount you can afford to lose. Um, spin the dice, go to CoinMarketCap, pick a random token, buy the token, um, and, and find out why it failed, why it succeeded, what it's about. Um, you know, have it on your wallet, play with it, you know, just, 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 grapple with it be be a be a kid with it with a token and then you may you may come up with an experience <laughs> brilliant thank you uh, nick i'll build on ismail's i'd say yeah uh, spend some money get some skin in the game nothing major uh but i would actually challenge you to try to find some tokens whether they're nfts or cryptocurrencies or otherwise that you believe in their utility and actually see if you end up using their utility. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Uh, yes. In under 20 words, uh, do your own research, make sure you do it as thoroughly as you can and surround yourself with the best people uh, that you can learn from in this space already. <laughs> awesome. awesome. It might be 21. That's, that's fine. We'll, we'll stop there. Look, um, thank you so much, everyone. Um, yeah, look, so... We're moving from speculation to utility in the, in the Web3 space at the moment. Stable coins are coming. Um, if you love uh, impact and saunas, get yourself out to Catapult Future Fest in, uh, in March uh, in Oslo. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, we're entering a decentralized uh, online world. So you know, it, it, it will hopefully, the aim of it is to be like a fairer future. Um, our next Wise Wednesday uh, chat will be with um, Nick Badminton, who's chief chief futurist of um, futurism. So tune in for that. I hope you feel a little bit wiser this Wednesday for joining us. Just like to say a massive thank you to everyone who's tuned in and to the panelists. Thank you today. And yeah, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much, James. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Yes.